I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounce on its point, wow. Let's not burn the house down. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. I'm Emma Race. I'm Kate Sear. I'm Nicole Hayes. I'm Lucy Race. I'm Alicia Sometimes. Oh, that is very velvety sounds of Alicia Sometimes (laughs) have made way for a husky little. I've been on the ski fields and my throat's a little sore. All that lying on the bearskin rug in front of the fireplace. (laughs) With my hot cocoa (laughs) and my snowboard instructor. Sorry. What? No. Did I say that that out loud? Steve's nickname is. Yeah, that's right. Did you have a good time? I had the best time. There is nothing like being at the snow, though, and skiing all day and then coming into a hot pub and watching your team win and jumping up and down in ski boots, (laughs) going, yes, oh, my God, and bang, 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 and then you to the side. Is bang, bang, bang about the ski instructor again, or am I confusing (laughs) stories? No, definitely a different story. This is taking a turn. It was an amazing round. You're talking about the Hawthorne-Geelong game, I I would assume. Sorry, Geelong support. Yeah. It was pretty fun. Mm. It was one of those ones where there was so much anticipation um, that halfway through we were feeling a little bit too relaxed maybe, but then, of course, Within the last five minutes, mm. I thought I was having a stroke. Mm. Mm. Lucy People can attest up. to that. <laughs> you actually did. Yeah. I have a theory that um, now with Rich, uh, sorry, with Richmond, with Hawthorne and Geelong, that they do that thing that you know where you wait for your mate to cross the finish line. That <laughs> in a race, it's like it's a bizarre form of sportsmanship that they're showing that whichever team's in front, they just stop and wait for the other one to catch Aww. up so they can go over the line together. Oh, can I just say really? though that from as a fan of one of those teams, I I don't have any joy from that. Like I, it is painful and watching. I really really struggle when it's close like that. I don't have fun. I would love. I don't ever want to not be a Hawthorne fan, but I would love to watch a Hawthorne Cats match and not feel that pain. I was cool as a cucumber about it. I mean, I always, <laughs> <laughs> I always am. But I was just going to say there are actually a number of. Really close, really exciting games on the weekend. So um, the Bulldogs in a comeback against North Melbourne, was that was an amazing game. The Sydney-Melbourne game, which we'll talk about in a moment, was also extremely exciting. And West Coast after the siren against Port. Mm. Another great round of Mm. footy. Well, can I ask you a question about that? Because that makes me wonder, is that the worst way to lose? Mm. So you've been in front for the whole entire match except after the siren. Do you have any worse ways of losing? Only that that is also a grand final. Oh, Wasn't it Gertrude That's... Stein who said a loss is a loss is a loss is a loss is a loss? 
Was it Gertrude Stein who said that? You could tell me that it was Alicia sometimes that said that and I'd buy it. Is that how you feel about losing? Like it doesn't matter if you've been up all day or you've been losing all day. It all feels the same at the end. You're going to vomit no matter what. I just think a loss. And I think a a, a draw is better than a loss because it's about the points on the board. Mm. So practical. I disagree. I think losing after the siren is the worst. Mm -hmm. I remember several years ago, I think 2010, Hawthorne were, I think, 29 points up at three-quarter time against Geelong and Jimmy Bartell kicked that point after the siren to win. And I drove home and I got a migraine driving home (laughs) where I started to actually lose my vision because – and I had to ring my sister and say, I can't – I have had to pull over my car. You have to come and get me. I'm stranded in the middle of nowhere. And it was because of the stress of losing in those circumstances. And I always Mm. think of that as like the kind of epitome of – what for me is the worst kind of way to lose. I like it if we're up all day and then if we lose, I go like, I mean, it hurts, but I actually love being up all day. Was it like, sort of like it's better to I have like, loved and It's better lost. to have loved and lost. <laughs> if you love someone, set them free and Buddy like, will never come back. I just feel like, you know, having a win so close and then taken from you as opposed to spending all of the last quarter preparing, preparing yourself for that crappy yeah. drive yeah. home. I, think you're right. I need the time. Expectations. It it's amazing when you're watching two other people's teams going at it and that happens though. Like <laughs> yes, I was yeah. completely Ooh, gripped yeah. by those games. The other yes. things that what's got me is that the ladder predictor is now <laughs> I've got like an absolute obsession with the ladder predictor. And I feel like it's possible we might see the players playing with their mobile phones in their hands just to check the ladder <laughs> yeah, during predictor the game. during the game. And um, I was thinking, I've heard a few people say, um, can we still make the finals? Well, it's mathematical. mathematically, it's still possible. And I was thinking when people say that, that's kind of the same as when you say, so are you head over at heels in love with him? And the answer is, Look, he's a lovely guy. He has a great family. <laughs> he's good on paper. He's good on paper. That's what mathematically possible is because it's like, oh, yeah. we could. Well, at the moment, you can either come second or ninth. Mm. It's nuts. It's crazy. I've got a different approach and usually around this time of year, I start singing Doris Day. <laughs> Key, Sarah, Sarah. <laughs> right. And it seriously runs just through my brain for most of August and September and I feel like if you spend all your time trying to work out all the permutations and combinations you'll go crazy so I quite happily just give it over and say whatever will be will be that is absolutely that is bull (laughs) crap by the way I'm gonna hit you with a pillow it's not true I sit next to you you are shaking like a leaf you are so invested That's that's watching my team play but that's not I can't my brain cannot take in all of the other things that have to happen oh, to okay. work out where you fit well, on I'll anything. Well, I'll Can pay I? that. I'll pay that. But game day, but you, game are, you are a hot mess, girlfriend. <laughs> I reckon you were also going to say, you, you stopped yourself then, I reckon you were going to say, I can't control what the other teams do. Because you can control what Hawthorne does. <laughs> yeah. You know, with the wash, windscreen washer true. man. It's true. That. We've got so much to get through, but let's um, Isaac Heaney's... Mark. Uh, I mean, his feet left the ground, so clearly it was Mark. And he also marked it at the actual highest, highest point. point. Yeah. The literal highest point. I think it was, um, it was on the ABC, they said it was the highest he's ever been. And I, and I think that's fair. Was he an angel on a springboard? <laughs> 
he was. He was like so a whole human uh, bulb. Yeah, like his feet yeah. were higher than the yeah. shoulders. And he looks like an angel. He, he literally so looks yes. like the angel yeah. I put on the top of my Christmas tree, non-denominational. <laughs> custard. He's, who we call custard because her hair is custard coloured. But um, I feel like we're very, we're getting very close to a time where I think we may see a sign in the outer that says marked at the highest point because mm. after you it tweeted might be that, it, it yeah. might be you yeah. or a couple of um, sanctimers because <laughs> after you um, tweeted about that, Isaac Heaney, people were like, yes, marked at the highest point. I thought that at the same time. It's a thing. I'm going to start bringing a sign that says Battle of Hastings oh. because Jack Rewald kicked by himself my favourite score, 10-6-66. <laughs> and I think it's just, you know, I grew up at a time when you wrote, learnt, random, useless pieces of history <laughs> that have nothing relevant to this country. Mm-hmm. And one of those was Battle of Hastings 1066, so I can't see it. And so I was wondering whether we should award him something like a tapestry. <laughs> Is that too random? A like, map or like a little, you know, that when they have scroll. the roll. Yeah, what about a tin yeah. hat? No. <laughs> is that me? Something oh, yeah, that you. we burnt the edges around it yeah. and we put it in tea. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We are talking about such inane stuff. We've got so much important yes. stuff to get to. Katie? Can I just say, though, in that game, I mean, uh, to come back to Heaney's mark, that was the highlight of um, of that game. But the low light, of course, was Alex Johnson, mm, yeah. who had had 2,136 days out of footy, five <sighs> knee reconstructions, he, of course, had had one game back last weekend where Sydney won in really close circumstances and then he did his what was his good knee this week. Mm. And I, I actually seriously cannot remember watching a game of footy that didn't involve a Hawthorne player where, where I felt like I did in that game. I felt absolutely gutted watching mm. that. Yeah. And I think the outpouring of yeah. um, sadness on social media reflected that. There was um, such incredible scenes to especially at quarter time when Alex Johnson went and got around all the other players from Sydney and tried to encourage them. It was beautiful, but really, it was really, really sad. Oh, Nick Newman cuddling him and it was just beautiful. And it just made me think this is science week, national science week. And I looked up the science of hugging and besides lowering your blood pressure, uh, lowers your cortisol, your stress hormone. So you need that Lucy at a game and Mm. Kate, of course, and it can, Increase your social connections and a sense of belonging. And it's got it all to do with your oxytocin and neurotransmitters. So I just love that uh, they were giving him medicinal hugs. That's so lovely. Mm. In case of emergency, break glass, have a hug. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> feel good. Much needed. Okay, let's melee, ladies. There was an article that came out. We've all got the giggles about it. An article came out um, in the Herald Sun newspaper in Melbourne and uh, by Mark Robinson, who is the chief footy writer there. There was a huge response on Twitter and socials. Um, Samantha Lane had some really strong things to say. She pulled out a couple of the key points that she wanted to um, rebut, which was great, and it was a very strong talking point. We reserved our right to comment um, on that article until we got into the studio, but we know that it ruffled a lot of feathers. So what we were thinking today is that we're going to borrow a little um, game from one of our favourite podcasts in the whole world. It's called Pod Save America. The fellas on Pod Save play a game called OK Stop, where they read an article and then as soon as they get to a bit, someone wants to comment on they say, OK, OK, stop, 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 and then they pull apart what they want to talk about. So today we are debuting (laughs) in a first ever Sanctum OK Stop and 
I have in front of me the article. We all have a copy of the article. So I want to start with the title of the article. One tricky thing is my OK Stop starts with the very first two words, which is over-promoting. OK Stop. <laughs> the AFLW has created the problems we see now. So over-promoting. Can I just break this down for a second? Over-promoting. We know that last season or the season this year, they didn't. the promotion budget was pretty much scrapped and it was kind of dependent on the AFL um, W players to tweet, which is a free service. And they had a skywriter. (laughs) And the skywriter, which I think at the time I did liken to when you buy flowers for your mum on Mother's Day from (laughs) 7-Eleven on your way to dinner (laughs) that night, the skywriting was fantastic. But that's organised at the 11th hour, I had to write a poem. I mean, exactly. And also, what if you were somewhere else in Australia and you couldn't see the sky from where you were? (laughs) That's a really good question Hey Science Week Can you see sky riding over Melbourne Can you see that if you're in Greater Western Sydney Not at all Okay thank you The the science is in Um, So there's That's the opening It's an article So over promoting the AFLW Has created the problems we see now By Mark Robinson Okay stop (laughs) Okay Nicole Which Uh, bit Just stop That's all (laughs) Just wishful thinking Please stop Mark Robinson This is what he says. Can we have a discussion about women's footy and the positives and negatives without being accused of being misogynist, sexist or dismissive? Okay, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Can I go? Well, yes, we can. Actually, you can have a discussion of women's footy or women's sport without being sexist. We do it every week, hopefully. Um, But the point is that if you think talking about merely talking about women's sport in any capacity is inherently misogynist, then either you don't know what misogyny means or you need to uh, check yourself and work out how what it is that you're doing wrong, essentially. Mm. I'd say it's very difficult to do it if you then go on to be sexist or dismissive. <laughs> True. I feel like it's this whole opening's the equivalent of saying, I have a friend who's a female. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sexist, but. but. <laughs> I had one on that too. Yeah, is this an actual question, was my query to Mark Robinson. Yes, we can have a conversation, but can you have a conversation? <laughs> because let's, lest we forget, this is the man who wrote in an article on March 29th, 2017, when he cited Erin Phillips kissing her wife at the W oh. Awards, that it was probably a touch sensual for a number of men. Yeah. So Ooh. I don't know. Can you have a conversation? <laughs> I don't know. No. Okay, let's continue. <laughs> he says, good. The goodwill produced two years ago when the AFLW competition burst onto the football calendar and into the hearts and minds of hundreds and thousands of girls and young women is under siege from multiple angles. Okay, okay stop. stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Angles, it should be angels. No. Is that what he meant to say? I mean, how incredible is this, that it's under siege from so many different angles. There are so many people in love with this game and the multiple angles might be him. He might be a bit pointy. Yeah, it's it's a handful of older commentators and ex-players and a percentage of the traditional footy fans who never have and never will embrace the idea of women playing footy. That's it. And the core audience, you know, is not, nowhere near that. We are very, very happy with the way things are progressing, at least on the ground as much as they can. The angles are good. It was overhyped. <laughs> okay, stop. <laughs> see, see above. <laughs> see above. See our earlier Lucy. comments. 
I, <laughs> overhyped. Go. Overhyped. I would like us to have an official hypermeter mm. for what would have been an appropriate response for people who've been footy fans for, you know, look at Robin, who is one of our listeners who's been a footy fan for mm. over 60 years. Sorry if I gave away your age, Robin. Um, to finally see people like her playing the game. So what's the right amount of yeah. hype? You yeah, tell really. me. AFLX? <laughs> exactly. Because it, yeah. I have, we have supported the men's game for so long and we always will and we love it. But I couldn't, I can't cap how I feel about this game because the AFLW has changed the way I feel about myself and the way I see the world. So finally I'm getting a shot at something that I don't believe Mark Robinson can ever truly understand. Mm. And so I don't know that he gets to decide what the right amount of hype was. Mm. Agreed. Shall I continue? Yes. From the start, arguably unfunded. Underfunded. Underfunded is the word it says. (laughs) Underfunded. (laughs) Probably true. Mm. The product was poor. Okay, stop. Yep. Oh, this is going to take us a while to get through this article. (laughs) I'm just going to get a hot cocoa. This is just, I just think this is inflammatory and subjective. Yep. Yes. Yep. And agree? also too, I mean, we've probably done this on this show a couple of times, but referring to it as a product mm-hmm. all the time, as if somehow, I mean, I actually find that a bit problematic in and of itself. Do it's, you? I do, because it's all, because it positions the game as purely marketing um, in a about commercial its commercial, it's, oh, yeah. it's okay. about yeah, its commercial nice. value and it's more than that. Yeah. And okay. that, that actually, as we will see, infuses everything else that comes yeah. in this article. Yeah, and the notion of product footy is more than just the game. It's the theatre and the spectacle and the speckies and the clean ball skills are just part of it. So, you know, it's got the drama and emotion and the story that's being told. That's what we're paying. That's what we want to go and see. And I didn't feel paying for or not pay for, <laughs> but we're prepared to. Yeah, you know? exactly. That wasn't poor. That was ramped right up. Yeah. He continues, and the AFL is largely to blame because it bit off more than it could chew. Actually, I agree with that. Hmm. Okay, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I think they, do, they they neglected it for so long and then rushed it forward. And, you know, you can't change that. But they, if they hadn't neglected it for as long as they had, things could have moved more smoothly than they did. See, I read that as um, I don't blame the AFL for biting off more than they could chew because I'm really grateful and happy and excited that we got to see it in 2017 rather than waiting to 2020. And the jury's out on whether they would have been ready at 2020 either. So I'm like, yeah, they went for it Mm. and there's been a lack of planning. But I don't know, like, and yes, maybe you can point the finger at them for that, but they didn't bite off more than they can chew. They they read what was happening in the room mm. and went, let's go for it. Mm. Surely, Just, let's I'm remember, glad it's happened. like you know, wrong. the AFL does run, uh, does have experience in running a football competition, more <laughs> than I would say any other organisation so, in this country. Okay, now the AFL wants to res- wants restraint, and the players want progression. It's a mess. Spot fires are now bushfires. Okay, stop. Mm -hmm. Hmm. This is a bit of a tangent, but I just want to take this opportunity to remind (laughs) listeners that um, Emma Race's husband, Andy Marr, claims to have coined the phrase spot fires. Spot fires (laughs) are breaking out everywhere. (laughs) And um, I just want to give a little nod to Andy. Old spot fires marzipan. Here lies spot fires Marr. Old man spot fires. Old man spot fires. So sorry, just a tangent, but... Credit mm, where credit's no, worth due. noting, worth noting. Mm. I'm really pleased that you brought that Thanks. up. <laughs> okay, he continues. Just two and a half years after that glorious night in Carlton to launch the women's game, the AFL is being accused of insulting the players and running a Mickey Mouse and gimmicky competition. 
This is he continues. This is not a be grateful moment, but the lashing by the players of the AFL is over the top. Okay, okay stop. stop. Lucy. <sighs> I feel like Mr. Robinson is saying here. So please but please stop speaking out and be grateful. Because no matter how women speak, and I think there's been a lot of really measured, well thought out speech from the players and some really great arguments and people who really know what they're talking about. And to then label it as a lashing Mm. really infuses, to take that word, Kate, a lot of emotive kind of negative language. It's like saying stop being hysterical. Mm. And it's far from over the top. Literally generations are being ignored and we're being told, we let you play, what more do you want? You know, Mm. what we Mm. want is equity and fairness and a livable wage for the players eventually. It's not over the top. Kate? No. Did you have one? No. Sorry. I've got one on that. Um, I wanted to say the the players actually, I think – um, rightly so, have a voice in this. They're using the the platform that they've been implored to use to promote the game. So, of course, they can have their voice on that platform. Not only do, like, when we think about this holistically, there's a lot of people who fought the bill, but none would feel it more than the players who pay for the mistakes that the AFL or that the media or that the game, you know, may make. They pay for it. They pay for the miscalculations, the mismanagement and the mistakes with their bodies, with their holiday pay, with their career progression, and they pay for it with good faith. Mm. And that is on an individual case-by-case basis, women who are looking down the barrel of how can they make it to the game. They have work, they have study, they have families, they have injuries, they have to do their own laundry, they're making their own meals, they're playing late, they're, play- they're playing their training late, they're doing injuries and still having to turn up to work. It's a completely out-of-the-box situation and these players are really putting their body and their lives on the line for this competition we call them pioneers and they're not just pioneers they're also shock absorbers Mm. for all of the mismanagement and all of the errors that everyone else around them has made yeah and i find it perplexing that robbo seems to he seems to suggest that they're not entitled to criticize Mm. um or not not at least not entitled to criticize as criticise as much as he thinks they are, but somehow Robbo's entitled to criticise the AFL, which he does right throughout this article. Mm. If those women aren't the ones who have the right to speak up, then who who does? Does Does he criticise men who criticise the AFL? I don't know his track record. He's one of them. He's leading the pack. That's his his career is based. He gets paid to do that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So he continues, wise people say the league made big mistakes from the start. It opened with an eight-team competition when there wasn't enough talent and soon enough other clubs wanted in for fear of missing the wave and missing the money. Where's the money? Where's the money? Is there more money in the banana stand? <laughs> <laughs> a quote from Arrested Development Joe, for those Joe playing along at home. Where's Joe Bluth? Where's when the money? I'm talking know. about the sponsorship dollars that have actually, drip, you know, have gone into the clubs as a result to pay, to pay for, for the women's comp- because of the women's competition. Absolutely, but it maybe we're money. not entitled to that mm. or something. All those money bit, fights they're having over yeah. the AFLW money. It's a bit confusing because Robbo seems to suggest, on the one hand, that there is this wave of money, and then at the same time that the competition is costing costing too much. Mm. Yes, I'm not sure which one it is. And no, I couldn't like that either. Yeah. I felt like it was a word I salad. Found that a bit confusing. You kind of threw everything in there. I mean, didn't <laughs> you're coming up to a doozy, like, Em. Feel like there could be some. Gaps in Robbo's logic here. Two more teams are arriving in 2019 and four more in 2020. All games were televised, which exposed the game too quickly. Okay, Okay, stop! stop. (laughs) Alicia, sometimes you're on. Oh, my God! 
God. I mean, oh, oh, the game televised. I mean, oh, yeah, it's on TV. So, yes, we all got the glory. We all bathed in its beautiful sunshine and we were so shocked and so overwhelmed. We couldn't contain ourselves. We were exposed. We've got it. It's infectious. Everyone I meet at the corner, they're taking it on. They're, I'm making AFLW converts out of everyone. They're just going down i'm sorry just everyone we're infected oh they literally for a start it was only on only some games are on free to wear tv so yeah. how's that over and on the second or third channel yeah and, or was, and it was mm. relegated to the secondary channel it was not overexposed you could barely find the bloody game but when he says it was exposed too quickly exposed to whom Mm. Because for the Men women folk. who've been wanting AFLW and for the men who've been wanting to see women's footy for more than 100 years. Maybe it was, should have taken 250 years. <laughs> Maybe that's the right amount of time. I'm wondering if there's a mythical creature who turned it on and thought, I'm going, okay, I'll watch this. And then went, oh, I saw one game and I said, no, that's never going to happen again. I'm never going to watch it. And Everyone was banking on that one, one mythical person, person. That mythical. Do you know when it says exposed to the game too quickly, I see that mythical creature turning it on and going, oh, my eyes. Yeah, oh, yeah exactly. I'll never see again. It's like the plague. We infected people. Exactly. Okay, if you thought that one was a doozy, how's this one for you, Alicia? <laughs> they marketed too hard and created personalities oh. and expectation when the lack of talent was soon obvious. Oh. Who okay, wants to put Aaron Phillips in a room with yeah, Mark Robinson? So much. It's just rude. Can I just I'm say, sorry. by the way, that the AFL didn't create those personalities? No. This isn't the Rocky Horror Picture Show <laughs> yeah. where, where these women were like built Fictional. in a laboratory no. or something like that. They actually were real people who existed yep. Yep. before the no, competition no. began. And yeah. we're not used to that with AFL, oh, are we? You know, people say, um, you know, maybe Mo Hope or someone was was overhyped or whatever, but that because she she had a track record of being incredible in Absolutely. the game that she yeah. played and loved, that doesn't mean that every moment, every year, every time she's going to kick a football, it's going to be incredible. She is incredible, but it, 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 it just it mm. comes back to Words. that mm. idea that Women have to get it right mm. absolutely the first, first time, time. Yep. and there is no room for anything Error. else. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no, because you've got woman. one shot. Mm-hmm. Totally, as Eminem said. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we quote the Almighty Eminem. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try and whiz through this bit. <clears throat> In oh, reality, God. it was an exhibition tournament, not a football competition. Oh. I'm, I'm saving are we, up. Are we I'm... about to vomit on ourselves? Or are we okay to keep going? Yeah. They sold it too hard, one club official said. <laughs> I understand you have to create heroes, but you can't put them on a pedestal so high without any body of work. It doesn't make sense. Okay, okay stop. Kate, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Kate I want to I want to say something about with there being no body of work without any body of work. Um, I'm wondering what first of all what Robbo means by a body of work because as Hannah Gadsby reminded us recently, Picasso has a body of work, but mm. he's been cancelled now. Mm. Um, but if it means that people have to have footy props before they played in the competition, you just mentioned this, Alicia. Let me give you a couple of examples. Moana Hope kicked a hundred goals in the VFLW in 2016. First women to do like so. 17 games. Something, something like ridiculous. that. Yeah. Daisy Pierce has won 10 VFLW premierships, seven Helen Lambert medals, five best and fairest for the Darabin Falcons while working full-time as a midwife and delivering babies. And, delivering mm. babies. and Emma Carney played k- cricket for Victoria. She took seven wickets in 12 games for the Melbourne Stars. She won an AFLW flag this year 
and she was the competition competition best and fairest all of while she worked full time. So is that the about is that the That's kind of body of work, work that mm-hmm. Robbo's looking for or And then you think about the fact that the AFL's literally broadcasting the national draft where rookies his backstory will be trotted out Oprah style to share, you know, <laughs> and to ignite their brand, literally showcasing a bunch of twenty year old boys whose names we've never heard of, but Aaron Phillips is a hero without a body of work. I can see that. Great point, Nicole. Are we moving on? Mm-hmm. I could talk on that mm. for about an hour and a half. Mm. Um, and maybe I just, I can't walk past, put on a pedestal so high. <laughs> um, it doesn't make sense. It actually does make sense because we have been absolutely hanging for female icons in this game for us to look up to and for our children and for the rest of the community to look up to. And we now have them and I'm so grateful. And it doesn't actually, uh, so much of what makes up how extraordinary these people are is what they do in the eye of um, adversity and, you know, seeing, reading Katie Brennan's chapter in Raw and how she faced that injury and then to see her do it again or to see Kate Sheehan get injured in the very first minute of coming back onto the ground and you know those things it's those things are what build story around how Mm. tough women can be and we have heard ad nauseum stories about how tough and how much sacrifice and toughness and courage and bravery men have had in this country our whole lives (laughs) and now we get to see some of those amazing stories about women in the game that we love Exactly. Mm. Dreams were built and believed and now they are shattered, the players say. Mm. So that's probably true. <laughs> Anyone? I feel yeah. like they're probably pretty disappointed with the way things have moved, yes. The messy fight centres on the players wanting to play nine home and away rounds and two weeks of finals next year and the AFL initially wanting six rounds and two weeks of finals. It will likely end up at seven. Finding a window in which to compete that satisfies all parties in terms of commercial reality, it costs $10 million plus to run the competition and a fair competition, play each other once, is proving elusive and divisive. Okay, yep. stop. Kate. Can I just comment on the it costs $10 million plus to run the competition? Um, that is, we've talked before about the value that AFLW um, generates for the community, not just in economic terms, but also more broadly. Um, but can I just note that if if it costs $10 million plus to run the competition, that is a third of what the network that Robbo works on, Foxtel, got from the federal government to cover women's sport without mm. any public transparency, documentation or tender process. So push on. Um, I had <laughs> some other numbers too. Mm-hmm. In 2016, the AFL's operating surplus was $330 million. In 2016, they gave $25 million to the Gold Coast Suns. In 2017, $21 million to Brisbane. Um, there are no numbers on what, they spe- on what they've spent on GWS. And Port were given $4 million for the China game. AFLX, no numbers on that, um, on what it cost. But um, it's reported, reportedly in the millions. And, you know, let's never forget $500,000 for meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> Can we also just remember that the AFL doesn't pay tax because they're a community organisation? So um, that's it. And there's a, there's a lovely there's a quote from Patrick Keane who said that um, the money that you just mentioned then. Nick, Patrick Keane, of course, Patrick is the spokesperson, Keane, spokesperson the AFL. from the AFL, who said that the sports income and assets, and this is a quote, were solely for the purpose of encouraging and supporting the game of Australian rules football. And I didn't see an asterisk there <laughs> that said just the men. Yeah. Men only. I think it's been implied. Conditions though, Lucy. apply. Let's be honest. <laughs> Conditions apply. Be a man. <laughs> Can I just say as well, the AFL's profit last year was $48.8 million. Oh. That's despite okay. having carrying the burden of women. 
Right. Mm-hmm. I know. The enormous burden. I'm going to continue on. The mm. AFLW standard is only <laughs> average. Yeah. Okay, stop. Yeah, Pet- but we could stop through this whole paragraph. Do you want me to read the whole paragraph yeah, and then yeah, we'll just yeah. throw some stuff at it? Do that. Okay, the AFLW standard is only average. It's played in slow motion on full-size grounds with 16 players aside. Skills are poor. Fitness is improving. Scoring is low, which upsets the main broadcaster. And most of half of the population won't give it a second thought. Okay, stop. <laughs> This needs to be a siren going off in the studio. An alarm just went off. I would have thought it was incumbent upon Robbo as a journalist to sort of um, think carefully about what it means when there's 16 players aside and the mm. games are shorter and mm. he thinks the scoring is low, relatively low <laughs> to the men. I mean, there's probably an explanation for that, Robbo, <laughs> yeah, that he could have um, explored. And the other thing is, this is actually where the clincher is for me. This paragraph has the two key points that I think reveal what it is that matters to Robbo above all else. First of all, that it upsets the main broadcaster, Mm -hmm. who, again, I remind people, is Robbo's employer. He is employed by Foxtel, who Mm. pay big money for those games, Um, and he doesn't declare that conflict of interest anywhere in this article, as far as I'm aware. And secondly, he says most of half of the population won't give it a second thought. And this reveals what it is that Robbo thinks really matters, that men have to be interested in order for this to be valid. Men are interested, Robbo, Mm -hmm. maybe not the men you talk to, but that is not the benchmark by which this game should be assessed. they're the real fans, aren't they? But also, let's not forget that Foxtel was concerned with... The men's game that the scoring wasn't enough. I mean, if we're going to keep playing that game, there's no end to that. The other thing is most of the population, like half of the population of this country isn't interested in AFL anyway. Yeah. So why mm. would they then also be interested in is it half of a half? Half of a half. I mean, I'm getting Quarter. confused a- with my yeah. <laughs> fractions. I'm not good with them, but I'm just saying. It wasn't well worded either. But he goes on to say, I watch it. I like the contest, the close games, the moments of brilliance and the players I've met. As a product, that's for you, Kate, yeah? it's quaint. Oh, get <laughs> <laughs> It's quaint, Alita. Come back. It's quaint. Perhaps suburban in essence, which is a good thing. Thanks. So he met a woman once. <laughs> They're kind of adorable. But they're kind of adorable. They're so cute. You see how they want to be like men. How they cute. How they want to have a turn. It's adorable. It's like Auskick. It's Auskick with periods. That's it's a That's a big episode name. Just say quaint is just another word for saying you know, womanly or quaint is quaint is little house on the prairie. Quaint is a rocking chair. Quaint isn't footy boots. It isn't Alicia Eva kicking a goal. It isn't Look at Mel Hickey's biceps and call them quaint. What about Ebony Marinoff breaking the tackling record? Ebony Marinoff's tongue is not quaint. Sweet. Adorable. This but could the, be the problem is that he just doesn't watch. That's my guess. We anyway, he says he says he watches. We're never going to get there. Okay. okay. But the product is out of whack in regards to performance and its coverage. <laughs> that yeah. just doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. sense. The players like to call themselves elite, professional, part timers, and yes, they sacrifice plenty to play. But with that has come a yeah. sense of entitlement. I can't even stop at that. I mean, a sense of entitlement. These people are working their rings off. Mm. Entitlement Mm. to what? To what does he think that they're expressing a sense of entitlement? The quality to get to have a crack at playing footy. I'm so confused by a sense of entitlement because the entitlement is that they just want to play. Yeah, surely. Yeah, that they want to have a competition and they want it to, to be sustainable. And it wanted, they want it to be the best it can be. That's not outrageous. 
I think I'm at the point where I'm just going to read one last line and then if you want to read the rest of it at home, you can because it goes on and on. But this last one, I just feel like you might have something to say about this, ladies. So we've talked about the sense of entitlement. That comes partly on the back of the AFL's initial enthusiasm. Players were treated like rock stars. Just stop. Just stop. Can I can I say one thing? Um, he makes a lot of references in this article to the players. He talks about the play, how the players are treated, that the players have a sense of entitlement. Later in the article, he says the players are angry. And there's a point at which he actually quotes from another club official who says, I reckon if you ask the players, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the irony, of course, is that Robbo doesn't ask any of the players anything in this article. Um, and, you know, he, he speaks for the players or he tries to paraphrase, paraphrase a very complex um, range of, of perspectives. And we've spoken on this show a lot about this concept of nothing about us without us, how it is that a journalist who is the chief football writer for his newspaper um, can write a piece about women's footy where he purports to comment on what women think without asking a single woman Mm. what she actually thinks Mm. um, is beyond me, actually. As a journalist, I I, I genuinely don't understand Mm. that. Mm. Not only does it seem to me to be pretty sloppy, I think it's offensive to the women who play to, to not even bother to ring one of them and ask them for their view. And the fans too. It's offensive to the fans of the game who are showing up and doing, you know, really invested in this way and being dismissed as not worthy of, you know, their attention, that our fandom isn't important enough. And the irony is that on a lot of the things that he talks about in this article, the players are willing to talk about it because they're being, they're going live with it on Twitter. So they are available for comment. And so he doesn't say that he approached them and that they were not available for comment. I think the thing that shocked me most about it is that when I read the article, the whole article, I agreed with 90% of what he said. Like I was like, yep, that's factually, I'd say that's true or this is correct or yeah, I get that vibe too. But the 10% that I didn't agree with was inflammatory, condescending, derogatory and I thought maybe clickbait. Like I just was like, I don't even understand what this article is. But what happens is we are bringing the haters to the yard and that is why currently the state of play with the AFLW and the fixturing, it's just a tinderbox and there's a lot of misinformation out there and I know that the AFL are scrambling and trying to work out what is best and the players are trying to advocate for themselves and um, and it is, it's a challenging time. An article like that was just unhelpful. It's an opinion piece, surely, not a uh, journalistic piece, surely. No. It is, but even that you hope is going to be based Absolutely. On, on, well, at least the conclusions will be based on fact. And so that, and that's not what happened. So I went on a fact-finding mission this week about no. the AFLW and I just wanted to put a few things out there to hopefully cool some heads and to try and um, garner. Um, we, we're all, I think we're all gunning for the same thing. We all want a really positive and successful competition. And there's, um, I spoke to a lot of people and... Um, I feel that what's happening is that it's the AFL will say that it's coming down to broadcast. Broadcast is not, I don't think, important to the players from an ego perspective, but it's important for sponsors that that's how their the sponsors are feeling that they will get their return if it is then on a bigger platform. So money's the important thing. Um, I think that we're probably going to have to get okay with conferencing. I just think that that's the way that it's going to go because I can't see how they're going to fit these extra teams in, especially when we hit 2020. Um, I think at this point, if I could say anything, I think as fans, 
I want to acknowledge that I believe that you have been heard, you have been seen, you have made waves. The next job for us is to just support the product that is dished up because the players now need to get their head in the game and be as fit and strong and amazing as they can be. Potentially they're going to have to play, you know, more games in tighter succession. Um, It may not look the way they want it to look, but it's going to be a competition. And if they turn up, we have to turn up and we have to buy memberships and we have to turn up at the gate. Um, The competition committee, um, who I've had a lot of faith in, are a robust and passionate group of people. I believe that they have been heard and that they have um, had... They've had huge discussions and they will meet again. What would have, I know, and I want to acknowledge that what would have been really helpful is a five or ten year plan to manage expectations and to manage expectations of the fans Mm. and the players and then I don't think we would have been in this mess. Um, With that in mind, I did some research into other um, sports that have been through this and have created women's competitions off the back of men's competitions. I looked at the WBBL, the National Women's Soccer League and the WNBA and went through the history of all of those clubs and what I kind of pulled out was that all of them had stumbling and tumultuous kind of starts. They were stumbling for for years, some of them, and some of them got taken over by other national bodies that then ran them and a lot of them had franchises that fell over and it took a really long time for them to become the success that they are today for, for those particular sports. But there was, and even though this sounds like a bad news story, there's actually some really good news to come out of the research that I did what it showed was that a huge issue with um, these other sports was lack of integration with men's clubs and building new franchises. That is not something we have to worry mm. about here. If you are a stuck-on hardcore Carlton fan, you need to and you deserve to love your Carlton Blues women's team. The brand, the resources, the fan base and the recognisable face of the teams and the history, that all gets loaded into mm-hmm. the women's. So that is a really positive thing. The one negative thing that I think I can see from those examples and from this one is investment. Time, belief and financial support and lack of planning have been what have you know made these franchises and um, competitions continually fall over. So things that I would hope that we can look at going forward is managing expectations. And I would say that, you know, broadcast deals down the track should actually incorporate the AFLW as part of that. Mm. Attach it to the men's. Say, if you want to have this many men's games, you've got to take this many women's games as well. And that's just the way that it should work. Mm -hmm. And then we won't be at this impasse. I think... Um, things that we've thought about this week that could help going forward is midweek games. I think mm. we need to get okay Absolutely. with a concept mm. of that, which I know I'd love that. Mm. for the players it will be really hard because yeah. if they're still working. Yeah, they're that working, will be really yes. hard. But also um, Lucy and I were talking about potentially double headers where like mm. Carlton play Collingwood and then you stick around and you watch GWS play I would love that. the Lions. Mm. Uh, it would be amazing. Mm. And then it's a huge summer family beautiful atmosphere it's not around robin you're seeing these games in all their glory but it would cut down on costs and they're the kinds of things we need to start thinking about you know opening up our minds to what else it might look like i think um you know when we think about all of the discussion that's been going on around the aflw fixturing and you know the negative and the positive and the passionate and the loud voices i'd like to quote nakia walker who is the new mayor of charlottesville and i heard her say something this week which is without tension there is no change so i think we need to see all of those passionate opinions and all of the people speaking out as a really positive thing because it indicates that there's a lot of people who really care about this and really care about women's sport generally 
but this particular competi- competition um, in particular. And I mean, imagine if there was nothing. Imagine if there was just no no voices crickets. and mm. crickets. Mm. Exactly. Meh. Then then I'd be worried. But I'm mm. not. I'm not worried. Well, it's interesting you say that, Lucy, about uh, passion because. There is a lot of academic research on football fandom and what that research shows consistently is that passion is a key part of what it means to be a fan. And traditionally I think that's been understood in what I think are sometimes quite um, problematic ways that, you know, if you're abusive to the umpire or if you're abusive to players or if you're hurling abuse at opposition fans, people understand that that's what it means to be a passionate fan. But there's more than one way of being passionate. And um, I think we're seeing that in AFLW. You know, people are putting, we saw on the weekend that people were distributing posters around Dockland Stadium protesting about AFLW. And that that belies a passion for the game and a desire for it to be better. And as you say, if there were, if we didn't get any of that, um, that that would be a worse sign. And mm. so I actually think that, you know, being sort of a troublemaker, for want of a better word, um, when it comes to AFLW, is actually a wonderful sign because it is just another version of passion and enthusiasm for this game we love. There was a shocking story that we saw this week, Alicia. Yeah, really sad that 19-year-old Georgia Walker, a Southern Saints first ever captain and a promising AFLW draft prospect, a budding football coach, has retired because of uh, concussion. She copped a knock at training in March and she was out for about two months. She says, I've had a history with ongoing concussions, so I had a month of rehab with neurospecialists and neuro." rehab physios and then I got cleared for round one and was getting better physically and mentally and then in round nine she had a knock at half time and came off and doesn't remember what happened she felt dizzy and nauseous it was her ninth concussion in about six or seven years and this just comes weeks after St Kilda St Kilda's Kobe Stevens announced his retirement as well. But a 19-year-old retiring, it shouldn't have to happen. But that's a very serious uh, blow to the game. Uh, Injuries have been a big story this year, haven't they? And um, there's been quite a lot of talk about how many there have been this year and that I don't know exactly the numbers. I can tell you. you, There's At the moment, there are 196 players on the injury list and that's 28%. That's outrageous, isn't it? Is that just AFLM, Lucy? That is is just AFLM, yeah. Well, there's six, so I mean, GWS has sixteen out at the moment, and that's that's, that's a, a whole pretty, team. That's oh, a whole team, Collingwood basically. Um, and it's going to take the edge off the derby too, because obviously we've talked about like Alex Jones. <laughs> oh, Sydney has because Sydney has one of those two, just to annoy us. But with Alex Johnson, obviously, Battle of Nick the Bridge Smith, or something. Isn't it? Battle of the Bridge. Um, but you know, there's also uh, the demons. The really bad news about Jesse Hogan, um, mm. who's out for the season. But take out Viney and Lever and Maynard and and Smith, and you've got a really depleted team and you know there's so much on the line for the demons and Essendon too has some issues but I mean Port has 13 players from the list under question or injured so the finals our final eight those 11 teams fighting for it it really is all going to come down to who's still standing. It was horrible last weekend Essendon and Port they were going down two by two and you just how do you stem that like Mm. it's it's and the injuries were bad they're all really bad and same with Mm. the GWS I suppose. And some of them you know some of them came from 
things that were innocuous. Some came from reportable incidents. Others came from friendly fire from teammates. And it really does raise that whole issue of of how dangerous this game can be. And we've talked about this a lot. And it made me think of the article that Timothy Boyle wrote this week in The Age. The title of this article was Herein Lies the Truth About Courage in Football. And I don't know if you've read it, but it tells the story of his dad who was blinded by a punch during a VFL game in 1972. So he was left with a permanent injury. And for that incident, he received only a free kick. And he lost his sight. He lost mm-hmm. his sight in one eye. Um, Tim talks about how that kind of it made him afraid to play, but then also in a funny way the fear attracted him in kind of a bit of a rite of passage way of you know going from boyhood to manhood and in this article Tim really acknowledges the inherent risk in playing the game which you know we talk Mm. about week in week out but what I like about it is he really argues that recklessness should not be seen as courage and that if we really care about player welfare then we shouldn't expect players to put themselves in really dangerous positions and Um, just to gain our approval or the approval of the coach. It then made me think about the discussion that we'd had after the um, Andrew Gaff, Andrew Brayshaw incident and how disappointing it was to see on the footy show Eddie Maguire again making a joke Mm -hmm. that was really, really inappropriate. And, you know, he basically said that Gaff should hit Nick Kyrgios. And even Sam Newman Look, you know, knew that he crossed, knew that Eddie had crossed a line, which I think is is saying something. But making a joke like that just continually sends the message mm-hmm. that, in some circumstances, we celebrate. Yeah, yeah. Two things about that. I mean, it's worth mm. reminding ourselves that Eddie Maguire is the president of a football club, mm. and to go on television and joke about violence against players in circumstances where we have a young man eating his food through a straw is extraordinary to me and really um, disappointing to say the least. But the the other thing I wanted to say is just a little plug if I can. Um, My law faculty at Monash does a podcast called Just Cases, which is about um, important court cases over time. And this week, my colleague, Eric Wintholz, who's been on this show before, did a whole podcast about the GAF incident and how the criminal law works in relation to sport and risk and what um, how consent works. And so it's worth tracking that down and listening to because I really enjoyed it and found it very informative. The Timothy Boyle article was excellent. Another mm. um, two articles that I just wanted to shout out and we'll put the links on the website is Corbin Middlemas, who is a um, football commentator at the ABC. Um, he wrote an article about... Um, really outing himself and saying I'm a gay man who works in the sports media and um, I thought it was an extraordinary thing to do because he didn't have to do that and I read some of the comments which was of course foolish and um, I just wanted to say that to the people who don't see the relevance or see why it's important for him to write articles like that working in the sports media um, it's probably because you see yourself reflected in the mainstream media or in your own industry day after day but articles like that will actually save lives and I thought it was a really brave thing to do and um, the other thing that I saw last night was Tanya Hosh who works at yeah. the AFL who whose work I do admire and her manner and her ability to speak truths in a room yesterday at the Western Bulldogs rap 
launch yesterday, she said she was talking about the lack of Indigenous um, voices in the sports, in the AFL media, which has really been a pickle for such a long time and it's made us scratch our heads. She says, you've got some of the best people that have ever played the game and that's one of the areas where I'm totally confused. I think about the AFLW tagline, you can't be what you can't see. I feel like that's one of the next frontiers for us to see Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people presenting footy and talking about footy. Although I must admit that if that happens, I will deeply miss the times that this industry is talking about racism and it's all white people talking about it. It's one of my favourite things in the world, <laughs> listening to those conversations of all non-Indigenous people talking about the experiences of Indigenous people and debating that in commentary. Mm. And I was like, go, Tanya. Tanya. Like, yeah. what a powerful Rock thing for star. her to say that in that room. She also does talk about um, the Indigenous Past Players Association, which she has been instrumental in setting up. And Kate and I were lucky enough last week to sit down with um, two amazing men and have a conversation about it. So we came across a story recently about an idea to establish an Indigenous Past Players Association and we're joined today by Dr Sean Gorman, academic and expert in Indigenous sport, and Phil Egan, who played, I think, about 125 games for Richmond and maybe one game for Melbourne. We're going to talk about the the association and the idea behind it. So thank you both for joining us today on The Outer Sanctum. Pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thanks. So tell us a little bit about the background how did it how did this idea about an indigenous players association come about and what are some of the key drivers behind the idea well Katie the, I've been lucky enough by virtue of the work that I've done over a period of time now ever since with my PhD with the Cracker Brothers and having that published and so on and so forth writing a number of books which has looked at history and, and these sorts of things working within the academy so on and so forth um, I was I've been given entree a wonderful entree into clubs by virtue of the work that I've done via the PA and going to the Indigenous All-Stars camps. So I was having a lot of discussions with, well, current players over, over the last, what, 10 years or so and talking to them. You know, Phil's an old colleague of mine from Melbourne Uni days. We'd talk a lot about a whole range of different things, basically how good he was as a footballer because <laughs> he could kick on both sides of his body and these sorts of things. And, and we were basically, you know, I've had a lot of discussions with a lot of either current players who are still playing, obviously, and those that had transitioned out. So I was starting to build up in my own head a, a sort of, a, I suppose, a, a broader historical social tapestry around these sorts of things. Yes, there'd been some great stories, but there'd also been some horror stories too. And this wasn't just from guys that had played a, a couple, of, a handful of games and were journeymen. These were players that had played 250-odd games, had won multiple premierships and had been very successful on field and had come from moneyed clubs. And you think, oh, well, why does that happen? Or how did that occur? Or what was the problem? Or So I suppose the, 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 the catalyst for this was sitting in the foyer at the AFL Players Association and looking at their reconciliation action plan, seeing what they were trying to do in that space with regards to engagement for transition, talking to the Indigenous and Multicultural Officer at the time, or manager at the time, and then sort of cobbling it together with regards to or an idea to run a forum over two days in Perth at the time, that was uh, that, that that was the easiest way to go because there were there was a big cohort of past players there, and um, I didn't know at the time that running concurrently to that Des Headland had already was start, starting to get these things up and running, so I, he invited me down to lunch one day and there was you know Wally Matera, David Wirapunda, Shawnee Charles had, was over, he's a cousin of David's, you know uh, Chance Bateman, there was about. 20 of them, and we all went down to a, a restaurant in Frio and had a few beers and had some you know, spaghetti and meatballs on a very cold Perth day, and it was a really good thing to sort of hear what was going on. So 
Des and I sort of got it together, talked more around these sorts of things. The forum came about. Phil and 25 other players had come along. We interviewed them all. That was part of the agreement. So they were all flown over and looked after and stayed at the Crown Crown Casino. Um, and we all had a fair bit of fun and, and laughed our, our heads off and all those sorts of things. But the serious part of the business, the pointy end of that, that uh, two days, was to capture all those players' experiences, what, they'd, what, they, what their relationships were like with their clubs, what their relationships were like with their agents, so on and so forth. And then, obviously, the report came about late uh, 2017, which was then handed to Gillan McLaughlin on Eddie Hayes a couple of weeks ago. One of the quotes that came out of that report, Sean, and I'm going to ask you, Phil, about this, is there was one of the interviewees told you that all footy clubs will say that they do understand Indigenous players, but they don't. When I was playing, they had no idea. What are some of those items that, Phil, that that interviewee, I guess, is referring to that you can kind of shed light on for us? Well, look, each has our own story. And I can't speak for that that player. There are a wide variety of, as Sean's mentioned, wide variety of uh, and diverse issues that are around. That are, there are tremendous gaps, and that's what it's all about. If we look at right across Australia, we still need separate services, you know, separate funding for our social and health and well-being issues. Well, football is just a microcosm of that. You know, we've got uh, some wonderful growth areas with with our players. Well, I think we now represent ten or eleven percent of the players on each list. But, however, one of the uh, issues of representation of players requiring a lot of assistance in their transition while they're there is also growing and it mirrors our social outcomes, our social uh, inequalities in the real world. So with the growth and wonderful um, aspects of of our lives as uh, Aboriginal footballers, um, past and present and future, comes the issues of our backgrounds. So therefore, they need to be catered for. And they, you know, there is a big effort by the AFL to do it and some clubs are doing fantastic, but one gap is one gap too many. Mm. So if we look at uh, the sad stories coming out of Western Australia with the loss of a, a lovely human being, he was a bloody good footballer, to, um, you know, that family and to, uh, that issue, you know, maybe may have been able to be um, not occurred. Yeah, but, you know, we want to make sure that all of those issues that we all face every day, and it's hard to say, you, you, you know, you ask me about what some of those issues, it's pretty hard, you know, where every second or every day for some of us, or once a week, that we face racism when we wake up. So we want, as a group, to uh, have the strength to help these clubs and to help the Players Association, not to conflict, you know, not to uh, set up this random uh, rebel group, but to really complement what the AFL and what clubs and what the Players Association are doing. Phil, I wanted to ask you about that because after the announcement uh, a couple of weeks ago that you were setting up this association, there was a bit of criticism in the media and a suggestion that this was going to be a breakaway group and that part of the agenda was to try and extract money from the AFL for Indigenous footballers. How did you feel when, when you heard that? And, and how does it align with the reality of what it is that you're really trying to do? Well, it's what of a dock's back, you know. When you look at who it came from and the forum that it came out of, you know, it doesn't sort of worry us that much because, you know, in every aspect of life there's people allowed to throw stones. And it uh, just depends how we, how we catch them and accept them and, and make sure our message is right. And that's what we're doing here today and, and that's what we'll continue to do. We've got some you know, really intelligent, educated and uneducated but strong in their culture and will to make a difference. You know, a real diverse uh, 
uh, group from our past playing group. And, you know, we've accepted challenges. You know, it's a challenge just to get on the field and to go through all the processes in a white system uh, coming from the diverse groups that we come from. So, you know, if Sam Newman wants to throw, a, you know, a rotten egg, not only can we catch that and disperse it into the bin, but we can get a lot of support because the needs are there. You know, it's not, it's not as if we're trying to sort of relive our careers, which has been what I've heard. Uh, you know, especially in the remote areas, in the regional areas, oh, what, you haven't had enough of the limelight? I said, all right, fine. Well, wait till your son, you know, gets up and about and you ring us up for help. You know, that's what we're about, so that we can support the policies of the Players Association and the, the AFL to ensure that there's a pathway and an exit so that we, you know, we remain strong Aboriginal people. Because the one thing that really rings in my head, and it came around about the time, not round about the time, exactly at the time when Gilbert and Nicky Winmar absolutely tore shreds off Collingwood at Victoria Park in the 90s, and the famous, you know, incident with Nicky, which is now held up in the in the lights and esteem that it should be. I think there's a statue of him now in brass, yeah. and it's fantastic. But what one thing that really stings uh, f- stings me as a past player, as an Aboriginal person, is that the Collingwood president made an announcement after that, you know, following the media hysteria over what Nicky did and the abuse that he and Gilbert copped by 40,000 screaming Magpie fans, was his statement was, and it still rings in my ear today, and it still has, you know, relevance, why we are about and what we're trying to do. And he said, Alan McAllister, um, and I'll stand corrected on the exact wording, but he said, as long as they act like white people, they're welcome at our club. Now, it was only 15 or 18 years ago, not that long ago, that a very, very upstanding a president resigned from another AFL club, which had an unwritten policy, and it's in the Herald Sun, check it if you like. I think it was Ian Dicker resigned as Hawthorne president. And he said one of his biggest regrets was that we had an unwritten policy not to recruit players of colour. So if anyone wants to ask why, what, what we're doing while we're here, you don't have to look far in history to get the answer. Yeah. And Phil, we, Emma and I have had the opportunity of reading the report that Sean wrote out of the forum in which many players share these kinds of experiences, many of which are negative, uh, but there are also some positive ones about things that clubs are doing right. Sean, what are some of the things that you found that clubs were, were doing right and, and perhaps could, that could be fostered a bit more? The, the main one, the most obvious one, is the ways that Indigenous liaison officers, um, which are sort of act as an addendum to the player development manager, have been um, brought in. And I remember asking um, Steve Alessio, Cess Alessio, about nine years when I started started going to these All-Stars camps, you know, when will something like an ILO at, a, at all clubs be mandated? And he said, well, we're in the throes of doing that as you speak, and it still hasn't been done. Now, it's obviously Cess has moved on and... We have a new regime and all the rest of it. But it begs belief why it hasn't been done previously because it, those clubs that you know the, that have done it with Gold Coast, with Andy Lovell, West Coast with Magic Narkle, Roger Hayden who actually fills that role but also is an assistant coach um, and I think there's one other whose name just escapes me. But those you, you talk to those the, the guys that are on those lists, there's Aboriginal guys that are on those lists and they say, yeah, these are great resources, these are great human resources that we have. But then it's trying to expand those things out across the industry, across these things, Katie, in terms of, you know, you know, things like within the media. You know, we don't, other than the Marn Grook footy show, we don't see, we don't see Aboriginal faces. I think Gilbert McAdam was on the Channel 7 as a, I'm using this term loosely, token role for Channel 7 because it was such a big deal. And he did such a great job 
Gilbert. He's he's so crazy. I think Martin Flanagan said he's like a guy in the, driving down the main street of, of a of a town on a tractor riding it backwards. So that's <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 such a he's such a great iconoclastic um, character. And you just think all these people bring something to the game, which gives us a a, a different filter to which to view it through. Or hear it through, and so there's those things. Clubland, you know, if you had, you know, more people worked in the administration, but also within those other areas that need to be that that, that need to be um, taken into account. So, as as Phil said, the, you know, the, the situations that were being played out with Hawthorne, you know, not to recruit players of colour, that would have been to their detriment for a long period of time. And then bingo, someone like. Chance Bateman turns up mm. and then and makes a stance and becomes the first Aboriginal player to put Noongar man to play uh, you know fifty odd games in a hundred games and you know and 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 people have to start to question this and go why didn't we do this earlier <laughs> why, well, why didn't we do this earlier and the same the same sort of mantra has to sort of be applied here with the Plus Players Association I'm a, I'm surprised why this has not been actioned earlier I just don't get it. <laughs> I'm sitting here nodding and my head's about to fall off. Um, thank you so much for coming in. We would like to check in with you guys um, over the next couple of months to check on the journey of this um, process. But it's impressive to see you using your voices and your experience because you're right, Phil. I'm sure people are saying, haven't you had enough of the limelight, which doesn't demonstrate really or illustrate the way that this is going to change the experience for so many players. But thank you for sharing this and thank you for taking this work on because it's a thankless task in a lot of ways and I know that you're doing it just out of your love of the game and to try and respect and support the culture and it's really impressive to see. So thank you so much for sharing the story on the Outer Sanctum today. Pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Phil Egan and Dr Sean Gorman who we fell... Deeply in love with. <laughs> I could yeah. have talked to them all day long. Yeah, it was great. Um, you can follow them on Twitter. Their Twitter handle is at past underscore player. So um, get on board. They're tweeting a lot about what they're doing and aiming to do. Okay, final business, ladies. Um, let's start with uh, Pick My Project. Yeah, this is exciting. Um, you don't have to live in Fitzroy to be excited about this, but the Victorian state government, so sorry, it's a bit Victorian-centric, has a, a, on their website Pick My Project Community Funding Round, which is open until Monday the 17th of September. You can pick a community project uh, where the government should give money to. And what we want it to do is to give money to the Fitzroy Footy Club because they want to raise some money for lights for women. So let there be light, giving women equal opportunity to play footy in Yarra. They've got a video up there showing they're dancing in the dark. They're showing how dangerous it is to play footy in the dark. So they want um, funding for lighting to ensure that women have access to the same quality of training and playing arenas as our men's squad, so to give greater access to playing, spectating and volunteering for everyone in the local community. So you can choose uh, where the money goes to. You have to go to pickmyproject.vic.gov.au. We'll put it up on our website. You have to register, but you can uh, nominate this project so they get money. Let there be light, Alicia. Let yes. there be Praise be. Praise be. Lucy? I just want to say congratulations to someone who's one of my favourite footballers, but actually also one of my favourite human beings. Russell Green, who is a legend of the game, who wore the number 29 for Hawthorne, and I wore a little picture of him in my locket. Mm. He has been <laughs> nominated. All the cops. I know, I was like. 
nine. Um, <laughs> he was nominated, has been nominated for Straight Ally of the Year in the 2018 Globe Community Awards for the work that he's done with his amazing powerhouse daughter, Angie Green, and stand-up events to stamp out homophobic language in sport and in schools. Well done, Rusty. Go Green family. Um, I'm, I feel like there might be an election in the air because the Victorian government's also got behind uh, Change Our Game, so um, a, a, ch- a coaching strategy for women and girls. Um, they've identified 17 coaches. They will have over the next few months various um, training and uh, coaching, coaching the coaches, mentoring and also advice and support in applying for jobs for the future. So that's going on right now um, and... There, it looks like it's going to be rolled, you know, replicated around the country too in different places. So watch out for that. It's spectacular. And Lauren Arnell has been instrumental yes. in setting that up. So huge props to and you, Loz. Loz. And, um, and the, the list of the coaches who are going out to do this um, is extraordinary. You should have yeah. a look at those names on the list and we'll put the details on our website. Katie? I just wanted to end with a bit of a call out to our listeners to get involved in a campaign that I'm launching here today on the pod. <laughs> um, so... In the last few weeks, I've been going to AFL games and I often find it difficult to understand or see what an umpire's decision is. I don't take a radio with me. And if you're sitting from a distance and you don't understand what the call was, the only way to work it out is to look at the screen and see if there's a replay. And they often have a little um, notation up that says it was a holding the ball decision or whatever. And if you miss that split second little Mm. replay, you're often none the wiser and you don't know what the, the decision really was. So I want to propose an innovation in which umpiring decisions are accompanied by sound effects over the PA system <laughs> at Stadia, where we can understand what the decision was. And so I've got three initial ideas. I'm mm-hmm. launching this here today, and I want our listeners to tweet us and Facebook us with other suggestions. I think when it's a holding the ball decision, the sound effect should be ba Nice. <laughs> I think if it's in the back, a push in the back, the sound effect should be and if it's a deliberate out of bounds, I think it should be like Nelson from The Symptoms where it goes, <laughs> So, listeners, send us in your suggestions and we'll take those to AFL House. I can't wait till a deliberate out of bounds becomes known as a Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole crowd does. <laughs> the challenge for next week is I want someone to tell us what the sound effect for unrealistic marking attempt should be. I already feel like that should be that grab of um, of John McEnroe saying, "You've got to be kidding me!" Yeah, or the Academy goes to awesome. something like that. Yeah. I love it. Play along at home. We'd love you to get involved. And this week, we better say go footy because we didn't say it last week and we caught some it. heat, didn't Hi, we? Alfie. Yeah. Hi, Alfie. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a wrap for us. Sorry, it's been a long one. Hope you got your run done while you're listening, or your <laughs> dishes, or drove your kids, or whatever it dog. was. Walked your dog. Drove to Bendigo. Drove made, to, yeah, exactly. Made sweet, sweet love to your partner. To the sounds of the podcast. Each to their own. Don't get on socials and tell us that. Okay. Uh, Go football. Thank you, everyone. Bye bye. Go Go football. (laughs) 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.